Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. you guys are getting hungry this is dropping the week of thanksgiving so this is usually it's like a short week for a lot of people yeah a lot of people either take the wednesday before thanksgiving off or have a half day i think um all of our interns were wanting to do a, a thanksgiving like friendsgiving like lunch so i think we're gonna look into doing that oh obviously as this drops yeah, it'll be tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah. so we hope that you guys are all enjoying yourselves with your family this this holiday and hopefully you know we're now almost halfway down with the school year and hopefully you've had some successes and that you have um, some things to be thankful for if you haven't already joined our Facebook group go ahead and go join and we'd love to start a conversation you know a lot of times we sit and we talk about things that aren't going right Um, And I think it's always good to be positive, especially this time of year. So I'd love to start kind of a conversation chain on the pod, on the episode group, that we can kind of talk about the successes that you guys have had this year. So drop us a line, drop us a message of something that it's worked well this year. Maybe it's a counting our blessings type of thing, which is is good because for today's episode, this is actually just the intro. We are going to actually do a repeat of a very popular episode with... Kathy Johnson, mm-hmm. who is our resident dyslexia expert and who will be having on yes. the pod, um, hopefully in uh, December. If not, it'll be definitely in the new year, but um, we thought it would be good to kind of give you guys a refresher of everything that she kind of, she. I mean, we'll focus it in on like tips and tricks, because yeah. we were everywhere in that yeah. episode, but it was such a great episode. Yeah, I mean, so I know we knowledge. got, yeah, we got a lot of feedback um, about how many great tips that she gave, and so, you know, our, our hope with this podcast and with the Facebook group is that you're able to take information from this and kind of run with it. And so, you know, we hope that you were able to get some great information. Maybe you went and got a referral for a dyslexia assessment. Maybe you used some of her techniques in the classroom. So please share with us the successes because I think it's great for us to hear what you guys are learning and what you guys are able to benefit from. But I think it's also great for other parents to see because like I said, it's it's very easy for us to be vocal about the things that aren't going right. But I think it helps to see the successes whenever we have a tough time with a tough case, but we can think back and, and look at the cases that have been really successful that always helps put everything into perspective so so enjoy this episode again Kathy Johnson is a licensed speech and language pathologist and she's been doing that since the early 90s she is definitely an expert in this area and we were so happy to have her on and we are very excited to have her back on the pod but hopefully this is a little refresher for you and things kind of ring true when you hear her talk about things again with us so and have a great, um, thanksgiving, have a great thanksgiving and we'll see you after the holiday enjoy bye bye thanks for coming on the pod today hi ladies so great to be here today thank you for making the trek out of uh south county to us here in <laughs> i don't know where i was we're going in with central, that. Yeah, central, central county yeah central <laughs> county yeah yeah to get my passport out but i'm i'm oh. good <laughs> i was gonna say i wonder if it's warmer here but south county's probably just as warm today huh it's toasty we're definitely getting skipping right through spring and heading right into summer for, for those of you listening, we are midweek and we're in our week of 80-degree uh, weather. 
here mid-April. Oh, it's actually still, it's still beginning of April. <laughs> beginning and of it's April. Our, oh, yeah. man. Crazy. So, Kathy, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Obviously, we indicated that you're a speech and language pathologist. I know you've been doing that for a minute. And also tell us a little bit about the Johnson Academy. Absolutely. So I've been a speech and language pathologist for about 27 years. Uh, the first 10 years of my career uh, focused a lot about on autism. However, my daughter in kindergarten was starting to struggle with reading, and she is now 21 years old. So at that point in my career, I took a little U-turn, and nobody could help her with her reading. She has a brother who's just one year older who took to like a duck takes to water, took to reading, and it was just a completely different thing. So I basically took it upon myself because I was just getting no help for her. So I took it upon myself to travel basically the United States to get trained in various programs so that she could learn to read. And so fast forward, got her reading. And then in, when she was in fifth grade, which was about, I guess, 11 or 12 years ago, I started the Johnson Academy because she said, I'm not going to school anymore and you can't make me because she was tired of just struggling along. And so opened the Johnson Academy, 12 years, fast forward, here I am sitting with you two lovely ladies. That is incredible. I wanted to kind of go back, you know, you had mentioned that in kindergarten, as early as kindergarten, you had kind of seen and you'd probably just gone through it with your son. So you're like, oh, wait, I'm kind of now noticing you're not getting it. What were some of the things, if you can remember and kind of share with parents because one would think like, oh, kindergarten, you know, they're still pre-academics. But now with Common Core, I mean, there's so much literacy within that, just as little as kindergarten that maybe that's what you were kind of seeing. Her that's exactly with. it. You know, I had the son who was just a year older. She couldn't remember her letters. She couldn't remember sounds. B, ba, dee, da. Letters were backwards. Her name is Kira, and she was writing her name K-R-I-A and A-R-I-K and all kinds of different ways, and it was very pronounced, and, and she is more severe, so it was very standout. But the teacher's answer was to put her on ADHD meds. It was like, okay, well, just if she pays attention more doesn't mean she's going to be able to right. read. So it was just basically against anything that seemed logical. And uh, I took her to the public school. So I, honestly, I didn't know what to do. So, you know, and they're like, well, why don't you take her out of private school and let me uh, let it, we'll watch her for six months. I'm like, watch her what? You know, watch her struggle for six more months? Uh, no, thanks. So at that point, like I said, I went, got trained in all the Linda Mood Bell programs, Fast Forward, and just kind of onward from there. It was very, very obvious. And she was seated next to the girl. The girl ne that sat next to her was probably the smartest kid in the class. And I just remember her saying, you know, I can't do what this little gal did. It was just heartbreaking. Yeah, it's got to be hard. I mean, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to that feeling. You know, when the kids become cognizant about, you know, having challenges. And if the schools are not taking the steps to address it early on, that social emotional effect, the self-esteem, I mean, it can really take a toll on these kids. And I mean, it sounds like it definitely did for her. And I don't want to go to school anymore. And it's not just about the learning, but the realizing that they're not achieving at the same level as their peers. Absolutely. Are. And especially when you have average intellectual ability. She's an average smart kid. Um, her reading, it was so 
clearly discrepant that her intellectual and her literacy abilities were so far discrepant. But nobody came up with that, you know, until I, I brought her to a good friend of mine who worked in literacy and, and made the diagnosis. And that was with dyslexia? Correct. Okay. Well, and actually at that time, she was not officially diagnosed as dyslexia. We had to call it reading disorder because the deficits that she was having, we didn't know all we know about phonological processing. That was her problem. She had significant deficits in phonemic awareness and rapid naming, which put her in the more severe category of dyslexia. We didn't know that back then. So it was called reading disorder. But my friend, who is an expert in literacy as well, she said she's dyslexic. But that was kind of off the cuff. Right. And, you know, oftentimes what we see in our line of work is a kiddo with average cognitive ability starts struggling in kindergarten, same type of issues, right, that your daughter is having. And then we get in a first, second grade and might start seeing some behaviors. And then third grade, you know, we start getting more homework, font gets smaller. Now you've learned how to read. So now you're reading to just learn, right? You're, you're reading to learn history and science and all these things. And oftentimes, sometimes these kiddos, if they get an IEP early on, maybe in kindergarten or first grade, by the time they're in the third grade, they get pushed into special day classes. And so then what ends up happening is, you know, in a regular third day classroom, you know, and it's great. They're saying, oh, they're going to learn. We're going to work on reading. The remediation is going to be there, but they get further and further behind. And then you get a junior in high school who's reading at a third grade level and they have average cognitive ability. So there should be no, re there's nothing cognitively speaking that should prevent them from reading at grade level, but we see them fall further and further behind. And I'm sure you see that and, you know, prevent some of the kiddos at, when they're at the Johnson Academy from getting to that point. And what are the types of programs that you think you guys do different? Is the focus on the phonological awareness? That's an excellent question because what's different is that it all starts with assessment. Okay. And I just had this situation this morning at a, a, a fellow speech pathologist calling me, and the public school had done a really good, great assessment, but they were calling all of the skill sets in phonemic awareness and phonological memory and rapid naming in the average range because the child was in the 16th percentile. And some of them were a standard score of, skill score of 88, which is a little bit below the 90 mark. Okay. So if they're calling 88 average, we now know that in phonemic awareness, phonological awareness, phonological memory, rapid naming, we know now that, uh, and this comes from Joe Torgerson, one of the co-developers of the CTOP, that if a child has anything below that 25th percentile mark in any of those areas, that is a telltale sign for reading problems. And so when you're calling something in the 16th percentile average, yeah. it's not the evaluation that's go gone wrong. It's the interpretation. Right. So how are they able to do that? How is an evaluator able to call that, right? Because we're looking at the scaled score, then the percentile, and then the interpretation through the CTOP. How are they able to just call it average? Because to me, that makes it seem like Oh, I could I could call the fifth percentile average at a certain rate. Right? Right. I mean, that's what it is. It that they're using qualifiers like, oh, well, you know, we hear this a lot. 
well, the, the test shows this, but we don't believe it's a true testament of their abilities. So we're just going to round it up and say that it's average. Or are they legitimately thinking that that qualifies as average range? Or is it like they've been taught like, oh, these are best practices? Like, what's the discrepancy there? You know, that's the five million dollar question. <laughs> right. Yeah. Darn, I thought we were going to figure Darn it out. It. Here. Well, I, 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 I think it. I have some good information because, OK, you ladies are much younger than I am. You were educated in a different era. I'm in my 50s. I'm, you know, in a different era than people that are in their 60s or 70s. So when I was in school, we were taught below the 25th percentile was in the below average. However, I don't know what you folks were taught on the bell curve. It's somebody's interpretation of what that means. And I believe, oh, doggone it. I don't have the book with me, of course. Stanislaus Dehane, in his book, he goes very, very in-depth in the neuro, neurological processes, phonological processes specifically, and truly even at the 30th, below the 30th percentile, wow. Wow. You can say that a child is deficient mm. in phonological processing. I have a child right now that I just evaluated, probably one of the most intelligent kids I've ever evaluated. His IQ is in the 95th percentile. Wow. Okay. Very wow. smart. Yeah. Very smart. He's got a five year discrepancy in his reading rate wow. versus reading accuracy. Nobody would ever think that he's having an issue yeah. right. until you really delve into doing sure. the GORT and I and his phonological processing, phonemic awareness. No, no, no. Phonological memory, he was in the 37th percentile, matches up with his reading rate exactly. And that's average, 37th percentile. However, with that verbal IQ right. at 95th percentile. You have to do that comparison. You have that's to write all factors. I'm not good in math, but yeah. I think that's like a 60-point <laughs> yeah. discrepancy. Yeah, it's huge. It's <laughs> huge. In, in terms of percentile range. Yeah. So right. anyhow, I can't remember what the initial comment was. So, you know, what is Johnson Academy doing different? What we're doing different is that we're doing great assessment. We do drill-down assessments on phonemic awareness, and we're doing good interpretation mm -hmm. using evidence-based mm -hmm. and research-based information. Because if you're not starting with a good eval, how can you come up with good therapy? Yeah. And I often get, I get parents who come to me with concerns that the IEP isn't addressing what needs to be addressed. And the first thing that comes out of most parents' mouths is we need an IE. And I go, well, hold on. Let's look at the evaluation. More often than not, it's not, like you said, it's not the actual scores. It's not the testing. It's the interpretation. Or the lack thereof. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you, if I had a dollar for every assessment I read that had so-and-so's score is this, so that then they're in this percentile and it means that they're in the average or below average range and then they move on and don't have any analysis, I would be so freaking rich right now. It's unbelievable. I we would not be, be here. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because, and that's, I have these, these school psychologists that they claim they have 30 years of experience, but their evaluations and the evaluations are still 90 pages or 60 pages or something like that. So that everyone thinks the district, they, oh, it's such a good evaluation. But I go, where is the analysis? Where's the interpretation? Where is the, here's the score, but here are the other factors, the circumstances that this kid has, and how is it having an impact on this kid? How is it having an impact on the learning to read or reading to learn? We're missing that component. So then when other people who are not school psychologists 
go to try to figure out how are we developing this IEP? We're having that missing piece, that missing link. And that's what's so frustrating oftentimes is parents will ask for something and they go, well, you know, and I have very, very bright parents that come to me and say, I don't understand how they can say we don't need a goal in this area because the score is showing below average. But then you look at the assessment, there's no interpretation. So the assessor found a score that was low, but then didn't take the step to do the interpretation to say, oh, well, then there is a deficit we need to do, you know, and then they miss that. And it's like, why is it that these assessors are not taking that step of the interpretation? Do you have any opinion on like why we get that so often? Yeah, absolutely. I have an opinion. And I I believe it's fairly accurate because I work with a lot of school districts and I'm working with a school district right now who is actually referring to me as their dyslexia expert. And I won't say the name of the district. And and they're actually far ahead of any other district in the area. And the problem is, is what we were just talking about is that if you don't know that phonemic awareness and rapid naming are the biggest contributors to reading disorders, specifically dyslexia, then they get the scores, even if they do get a below average score, but they gloss over it. It's a sad state of affairs that, you know, the research that's been done at Yale, Tufts, UC San Francisco is very clear, but it takes between 10 to 20 years to get to our schools. And I'm very fortunate that I've been able to travel to all these universities to to get the information firsthand, but we need to get it into the hands of the right people. And, yeah. you know, like I said, the school district I'm working with has is, is been just phenomenal. They've taken this information and now they're finally giving the CTOP and they're making that interpretation. And you know what? I honestly, I'm, I'm very excited for what's going to happen with this district, because I believe they are going to transform their special education uh, system just based on giving better assessment, better interpretation, because if you have that, then you can figure out the evidence-based interventions that are going to work to address those issues. Well, because, you know, if we can get these school districts to do that and early on recognize and provide the right intervention, then we're not dealing with a five-year gap that's going to require intensive, intensive, and very expensive intervention. I mean, that's the biggest thing we always talk about. A big problem with denial of services is cost. So, well, if we can start out in kindergarten using the right approach, it's going to be very, very much more minimal. I'm mouthing right now to you to say, ask me how to do that. (laughs) Because I, but just, I'm beyond the moon excited about this. I'm working with the American Academy of Pediatrics right now. Mm -hmm. There's a pediatrician who has written a grant. It's called the CATCH grant. She received those funds. She did. Oh, great. We are trying to get right now. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just, I want to cry. This is, this is so great. We want to screen every single child at five years old. If we can screen every single child, we can catch them at five before they've ever struggled, before they've ever had an anxiety or depression and let me tell you that if we get a child, this came from Marianne Wolf, Tufts University, just a, a front runner in dyslexia. Is at Tufts? She's currently um, at Stanford. I hear she's coming to UCLA. Oh, so this is, you know, we're we're gonna and maybe even Chapman. So yeah, yes. So that's the word on the street. So, but if we get a child before third grade, we have a ninety percent chance of remediating their reading disorder commensurate with their intellectual ability. However, 
if we wait till after third grade, decreases by half. Oh, so we, the school is currently waiting for the child to be two years behind. Right. right. Oh, oh, 100%. 100%. 100%. Why are we waiting? Yeah. yeah. It, because the resources are out there and nobody's grabbing them. Like you're gearing up or teaming up. With pedi- like no one would think, oh, a pediatric doctor, like, and that's, you know, we do presentations for pediatricians all the time because there's only so much that they can do, right? Right. And we get this all the time. Oh, okay, well, I'm just going to do ADHD because, you know, that was the go-to of, of your teacher, right? Oh, well, if you just gave her medication, she could, you know, it focus in. A lot of times we'll see kiddos get speech and language impairment on mm-hmm. their IEPs. Right three years old. By the time they get to five years old, we're still seeing areas that are, you know, below average and just slightly below. Mm-hmm. And, but they're like, oh, well, they don't have any more problems. And I think because I've had a client with severe language processing issues that also affect their reading, of course, and everything, right? Math and especially with the core curriculum. And there's so much, I mean, there's word problems now. It's, it's insane. It, it affects everything. So those kids that were at least kind of getting along because it was just numbers. And even though numbers can be confusing as well, they were getting a little bit of self-esteem. But now with so much wording and where I was going with that is the language processing component, then they'll, their IEP, because they can talk, they're mm-hmm. expressive yeah. is fine right. and they can talk and then an IEP will be taken away. And there's just so many different layers where if we could just screen every child yes. at five, that it would blow. Like, I mean, that would be great. Yes. I mean, it, it takes the knowledge, I think, and understanding of that. Uh, because, I mean, we see that what Vicky was just explaining all the time because we get a lot of speech therapists pathologists that unfortunately I don't think that they understand the language processing to the extent that they need to. So they're creating goals for pragmatics and articulation and then they meet those goals and they no longer have an IEP even though right. because they got it at three, they went through preschool, the expectations for literacy is still very low. It's not until they get into first grade where we notice a severe and then it's like, okay, well, we're going to bring that back. Mm-hmm. But you know, and we're seeing a lot of schools now trying to do like their SST meetings or RTI, response to intervention, those types of strategies for all kids. And they go, well, we are addressing, we're screening all kids because we have reading groups, mm-hmm. but it's not enough because they're placing two kids that probably maybe have dyslexia or some other, you know, reading disorder together in a group. And they're like, oh, well, they're commensurate with their group. So they're making progress. And that's how it's delayed. Well, let's roll out some statistics to your group here, okay? I love stats. So if you look at ADHD, only 5% of our population has ADHD. It's a very low number. Yeah. That's not going to be your first go-to. Guess what the biggest learning disability is? Language-based learning disability, such as dyslexia. 17.5%, essentially one out of five. Wow. Wow. So when you have a child who has a speech and language problem, guess what? That 17.5% goes to 60% chance. So any kid that's had a speech or language IEP, you know, these regional center kiddos, you know, speech language across the board, those kids automatically need to have the full testing because they're at three times the risk of the general population. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they get this great speech and language therapy and they're remediated in speech and language, but guess what? There's an underlying phonological or rapid naming problem. It's sad. They just don't know. And speech pathologists don't realize they hold the key to literacy because we are the most. I didn't know it until I had a kid. 
We are the most trained in language. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know. It is speech and and language. language. (laughs) Yes, they are different. They are separate. Yes, it drives me crazy when I feel like they miss that component or... Or a student has goals for language, like vocabulary or something, but the speech therapist is the only one that's responsible for that goal. Why is the rest of the team not? I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure language has everything to do with everything else going in the classroom. I have a sixth grader where they have goals in vocabulary and language processing that the speech therapist is responsible for. The child's not making progress in these areas, but yet the team, the resource teacher, the ed specialist, the gen ed teacher, none of them are on it and none of them are working on how we're addressing it in the classroom. That's- well, and okay, so I this is one of another favorite statistic of mine <laughs> is that this came from Sally Shaywitz at Yale University. When a child reads 20 minutes a day, they are exposed to 1.8 million words per year. Wow. When a child reads five minutes a day, they're exposed to 282,000 words per year. This is referred to as the million word gap per year. So when a speech pathologist solely responsible for the vocabulary goal, guess what? The most effective way to address vocabulary is by getting the kid to read. <laughs> Hello. So what a concept. <laughs> what a concept. 20 minutes a day. Why do you think teachers but see teachers know to push 20 minutes a day, but they don't know why. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see that all the time. Well, you know, her only homework is to read 20 minutes a day. And when a parent who, you know, this could be their first kid, you know, and maybe they didn't read 20 minutes, you know, back in the day. So they're just like, oh, okay, you know, we'll just, you know, gloss over it. Yeah. And I mean, with technology and the iPads and everything else. I mean, do you have any experience with, like, the assistive technology aspect? You're, oh! Yeah, she's, like, shaking her head, yes. <laughs> okay, this Where is my new baby. Where do you want to start? <laughs> this is my new baby. I am, like, so excited about so many things with technology. So Learning Ally is just something that everybody needs to know about because Ben Foss from Stanford University— well, he's not from Stanford, but he went to Stanford, and his big thing, he's— if you ever get a chance to listen to him— His big thing is, oh, I read at the fifth grade level, but I graduated from Stanford with an MBA and a law degree. Okay, so Ben's big deal is many, many big deals is that he invented the Intel speech processor because he says, "Okay, and you ladies went to law school. You guys are the smarty pants in the room. You know what it takes, the level of literacy. His mother had to read everything to him. Wow. Wow. So wow. he invented the Intel speech processor. So and now technology has advanced since then. But basically, Learning Ally, you can get any book. I mean, I work at J. Sarah Catholic High School with high school kids. I get them on Learning Ally so that the book is being read out loud yeah. to them. So yep. it speeds it up. Yeah. Yep. I just came across this scanning pen. This is the coolest thing ever. I, I should have brought it, darn it. Okay, you got to have me back, okay? Yes, we will. So what it does is it scans the text oh. for you. It reads it out loud to you. And guess what? If you're not so smart like me, you can scan the word if you don't know what, you know, um, I don't know, a high word is deoxyribonucleic acid is, you know? Uh, yeah. So it can scan it and say it for you and look up the definition. Oh so this God. is a game changer. Yes. And, okay, my favorite part is it can scan the text and you can load it to your USB cord and send it to your computer to make what are those flashcards that all the young kids are doing now? Oh uh, my gosh. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can't yeah, think yeah. what they're called. I, on your 
Sorry, my daughter's about. probably, yeah. if she listens to this, she'll be like, Mom, you know what those are called. <laughs> so anyhow, there's so much technology. Yeah. And then if y'all get out your iPhone right now, okay, let's get out our iPhones, okay? okay and this is a um, fun thing. Or Android. Or your Android, whatever. Okay, go to your notes section, and I'm going to go grab mine. Okay. I think I have notes. So I'm going to go to my notes, notes section. Uh-huh. And then what you do is you, this is a great resource for kids with uh, dysgraphia. Okay, who kids who struggle with written expression. So you get them to go on their notes, and then you push that little square with the mm-hmm. pencil in it, right? You're going to pull up a new note, and then you go on the bottom left, and you push on the microphone. And then if I am doing a report on dinosaurs, I can say everything I know about dinosaurs. Uh, there's pterodactyls, there's stegosaurus, there's... Oh, I don't know. They're big. Oh, they're extinct. (laughs) Yeah, they're Um, extinct. Okay. They were supposedly became extinct because maybe a meteorite meteorite Mm -hmm. hit the earth and they became extinct. Okay. Now think about a kid having to spell all those words. You're dead at pterodactyl. Thank you. Okay. So (laughs) then you stop and then you can send this to your Gmail account. Oh, awesome. Then put it in Grammarly.com, G-R-A-M-M-E-R-L-Y.com. And it will fix all your grammatical oh. errors. And then you have started your report. Wow. Okay. That's so this is a game changer. Schools don't 100%. know about all this technology. They can't keep up, up on all this. So No, they can't. I was recently at an IEP meeting where we had a child with dyslexia. And the district was talking about the different multisensory, you know, per the, mm-hmm. the, the California law that we had discussed originally where, you know, here's the list of, of places. So, you know, Read Naturally was on there someday, you know, a couple different ones. Obviously, the Cadillac that everybody recognizes in this area is Orton Gillingham and, and the mm-hmm. Barton program. Mm-hmm. And so we were discussing, you know, how Barton is a particular type of program where Orton Gillingham is the type of learning, right, mm-hmm. is like the overarching. And so Linda Mubel, for instance, used or, uses Orton Gillingham strategies mm-hmm. and, and, and things like that. And so we always get districts that say, oh, our teachers are trained in Orton Gillingham. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if you've ever spoken to the creator, like the levels with which one would need to know and train in, it's not like a four hour seminar. Which is what these districts give their teachers. But I mean, you're working in a district where, you know, you're the go to expert. How are you helping shape what that district or, or what you have in mind, you know, moving forward when we're dealing with these programs, because for us, you don't get the brand name. You get that, you know, we always say back in the day, the rally court case, Supreme Court case in the 80s, it was like, you don't get the Cadillac, you get the Pinto. So we've tried to update that. Mm-hmm. I say, oh, okay, you don't get the, the Tesla. Tesla, you get, you know, the Ford, the, you know, the Ford Fiesta. And I had a Ford Fiesta, so I can say that. You know what, it was that like, is nice, decent car. Yeah, I think you increased that gap, Vicky, with your, your new... <laughs> The four feet, and it was a good, reliable car. <laughs> the Pinto, I don't know so much about, but but the Pinto, the Cadillac, and uh, let's just be honest, the Tesla, I think, is a little bit higher than a Cadillac. Than a Cadillac, well, yeah. And so, you know, we try to explain that to parents, and we try to yeah. give them that. And so, you know, when we're advocating, you know, it's a very fine line because it's for the individualized need of the child. So sometimes we're able to get those services. Maybe they're the brand name. Maybe they're you know a generic, mm-hmm. but. As long as we're able, but oftentimes we hit a brick wall because they're saying, hey, well, the CDE is approved this. So we're going with the read naturally. You know, what are your impressions just of, you know, 
what it is that a program may need, for instance. But it depends on the child. I, I guess so in order I to be, but in, I guess, in, well, I mean, maybe to be <laughs> comparable, right? Because okay. like we get this all the time that we'll say like, oh, well, we can find a comparable program, but there are programs that are so unique and so different that it wouldn't be comparable, right? I mean, especially for some of our, our differential learners. Well, I think in a sense, we're missing the forest for the trees here. Because if you talk to the top researchers, Femiko Haft from UC San Francisco, Sally Shaywitz from Yale University, Marianne Wolf, okay, from Tufts, it's not the program. Guess what? People deliver programs. Mm-hmm. And that's the bottom line. Because you can be trained in Linda Mood Bell. I'm trained in all the Linda Mood Bell programs. I'm trained in Ravo, okay? Trained in Fast Forward, Read Natural. I'm trained in all these programs. And I can tell you, I know each and every one of them inside and out doesn't come down to the program. It comes down to the person delivering the program. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem because a lot of these programs will train anybody. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was fortunate enough that I, you know, I had my master's degree and I had a, a fair amount of understanding of language. Yeah. Okay. Cause I got trained for my kid, but now think about a mom or somebody else getting trained. They will train anybody. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's good, but it's bad because if, and we screen all of our folks at Johnson Academy, we screen them to make sure that they don't have phonemic awareness issues. Mm. Because if 17.5% wow. right. of the population yeah. has it, regardless, <laughs> right. tall, short, you know, wearing pink, purple, blue, whatever. So you have to make sure the person delivering the services, number one, doesn't have phonemic awareness issues. Right. And number two is trained yeah. in the program, not only trained in the program, but has delivered it to thousands of children. Because guess what? I've evaluated over 20,000 kids in my career. They're all different. Right. Yeah. One kid might have high phonemic awareness and low phonological memory and issues in rapid naming or ADHD or non-ADHD or maybe have some high-functioning autism or maybe have underlying auditory processing disorder. If you're trained in one program, how can you say that? It's dyslexia. They're mild, moderate, severe to profound. Right. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And so if I have a child who is you know, in first grade, you know, and I'm picking between, you know, Linda Moon Bell or Barton or Rave O. Those are all three excellent programs, but there's one that's going to be the best fit for that child. Mm. That's where the problem is. So can you make us a chart? <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> like all the programs and the different deficits. Actually, and if we that put exists. The kid, okay. So if we put the kid and we say, okay, the kid has X, Y, and Z, it but, would tell us which of these. Yes. And then we could say, it is, and then it's long, but it's about the person that's able to. Yes. Okay. And I've got to get the name right now. He's okay. in my head somewhere. He has a book, and it's called, I believe it's called The Neuropsychology of Reading Disorders. And his name, oh, he is the developer of the FAR. And I know a lot of people mm-hmm. are using the FAR, the okay. FIFER Assessment of Reading. He has a book, and he refers, I'm pretty sure, because I went to his presentation, and I have it in my notes somewhere, about which programs will be the most beneficial given the type of dyslexia. Because we have three basic types of dyslexia. We have dysphonetic, dysidetic, and a mixed dyslexia. And there's even controversy over how to name those things. So people who are listening say, well, I've never heard of mixed dyslexia. Some people call it surface dyslexia. So even that is controversial. Bottom line is that these different programs have different overlays or philosophical Mm -hmm bents that are going to serve the type of dyslexia. So not there's not a one-size-fits-all. It's too diverse. Oh, that's, I, mean, I know, that's I'm exhausted. Yeah, I know, but that's what's difficult for us and having to be 
you know, there's 13 eligibility categories. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, there's way more than 13, you know, disabilities or yeah. learning differences or out combinations there. Thereof. Or combinations thereof. Um, I know we were talking earlier, oftentimes we'll see an ADHD with autism diagnosis of kiddos. And I just, in the last 10 years, just being in this realm, I can't tell you how quickly, you know, ADHD is just given that diagnosis so that the parent can take it to the team. And so the team is just like, well, we don't know, you know, oh, it's not affecting his education, you know, but just to get their foot in the door. I know, I know. And it's just one of those things where, you know, I think sometimes, you know, doctors get into grooves and not because they're not seeing it. Like, obviously, they're seeing, you know, these different things. But when you're not parceling things out, it kind of all gets clumped into one. And, and you know, these one size fits all classrooms, you know, the autism specific classrooms may not be appropriate for that high functioning kiddo that just needs social skills training, you know, and and even the reading component you know, I know I know you were talking to us earlier about, you know, nationwide what the percentages are for people with reading disabilities. And it's, you know, one of those things where I think California, you know, a couple of years ago, and I'm not going to even remember it's AB whatever that had passed. You know, we had had the statistics of where, you know, California kids were at in reading and it was so low and you're thinking how is this possible like what are we not doing and what you had said earlier the research is there it's 20 years old but the move to actually educate the children in a way that is beneficial is what hasn't been you know given to the educators which is sad it's coming it's coming with ab 1369 passing a few (laughs) years ago it's coming and again you ladies are much younger than i am in the 80s we didn't know what the heck was going on with autism. Okay. Why autism has come so far so fast is because of moms and dads too. Okay. No, but but, okay. Think about these moms and also you can see autism. It's very obvious. (laughs) Dyslexia. You cannot see it's coming. We need to get the words out to these moms so that they can advocate so that they become essentially they have to become the experts because the public school, I guess, unless they get sued enough, then they're not they're not going to get on board. And, and it's yeah. sad to say, but, you know, I want to re- just read this out loud. I'm on this amazing, I don't know if it's a blog or email. I don't know what I signed up for. But this is an amazing statistic that Massachusetts, because of the work that Marianne Wolf at Tufts University, many of the surrounding schools in the greater Boston areas are oh, using RAVO. Oh. Okay. It is transforming their education, and they are number one in ELA. Wow. Number one. Wow. Okay, I believe California is in the bottom ten. Sure, and I I might yeah. be off yeah. on that. I think so right. here's the stat: the best state in the United States, Massachusetts, has fifty percent of the students not proficient in reading. So if wow. they're the top and they only have 50% of their students not proficient in reading, what in the heck is going on here in California? And I want to add that literacy is not only the most important predictor of academic success, it is now the most predictive of life success. Because why? We are constantly on our phones. Mm -hmm. We have to read things quickly. We have to respond quickly. We have to be able to take a one-paragraph text and translate that almost immediately. We yeah. are no longer reading voluminous, you know, pieces of, right. of information. Yeah. We have to get very quickly. 
So these kids are their feet is to the fire yeah. in literacy. Mm. Yep. That's chilling. terrifying. Yeah. Sounds like we have a long way to go. <laughs> Possible. But, but you know what? Yeah. And that's why we were so excited. I know it took a while, guys, but this is why, because, you know, we really wanted you to come on because we know the work we had actually met Kathy when she had uh, presented to one of the Help Me Grow's Connection Cafe. Shout out to Help Me Grow. And just the amount of information. I love statistics as well. But just your demeanor, how you know casual you were to speak about your own experiences, and then clearly the passion for which you mm-hmm. have in this area. Like we were just like dying. We were like, we need to get her on the podcast. Thanks. So thank you so much for coming down this way. We had a lot of information that I'm sure we'll try to get as much of it as we can in the show notes. But I just kind of wanted to give you this opportunity to maybe tell people how they can reach you or know more about the Johnson sure. Academy. Sure. And actually, I want to give a couple more um, really good tools to parents. Overcoming Dyslexia is probably one of the best books written by Sally Shaywitz on dyslexia, again, from Yale University. Her movie that she's co-produced with Richard Branson, who is dyslexic, is The Big Picture. I highly recommend it. It's an HBO documentary. I actually take that movie to schools all in Orange wow. County to help educate teachers in dyslexia and Johnson Academy. We are in San Juan Capistrano and we take 36 kids per year. Our class size is no larger than six and we use all evidence-based interventions such as the RAVO and Linda Mood Bell programs. And uh, I just, you know what, I love all things dyslexia. And if there's any way I can help any of you with your school or your child, I just would love that opportunity. So, and I appreciate the opportunity you two ladies have um, given me today. So thank you. Of course. What's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, Kathy at OCSLLCinc.com or our phone number. Again, that's Kathy at Orange County Speech, Language, and Learning Center. So it's Kathy at OCSLLCinc.com or our phone number is 949 949- Four eight seven five two five one. We're also known as the Speech Language and Learning Center. So we have two different entities that we serve for our community. So thank you. Oh, it's so glad to have you finally. And keep talking. I, really I know, <laughs> seriously. But but you'll be back. <laughs> yeah. Because yes. you know, I, the <laughs> pen thing. I'm going to bring my yeah. scanning pen. Oh, you guys are going to die. We're going to try it live on the <laughs> air. It's yeah. going to be. We'll do a Facebook live. Okay. That'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah. And of course, we just there's so many things that we could talk to you about. So for our listeners, we'll definitely have her back. And uh, thanks for listening. Hope you guys are enjoying the spring weather. And not if you're in a state where it's no. Going, but uh, just Sorry, know guys. that we're we're trying to send you sunshine. We're sweating here. Yeah, we're yes. sweating here. Yeah, don't don't California <laughs> problems. California problems. Well, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.